You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, with great fear and the holiness of God in mind, I'm about to give an illustration that's probably going to get some people mad. I do see we have some older faces in here, so uh, full disclosure, pastors often cite pop culture, and those pop culture references are often profane and have curse words, and so this is not an endorsement of any, in any way of what I'm about to show. Uh, I, I, I don't watch the show, and I wouldn't recommend it, but there is a show called South Park <laughs> that airs on Comedy Central, and it's been airing for the last 25 years or so, and in the show, apparently, they go into song sometimes, and there's a song out there that, again, I'm definitely not recommending called In My Safe Space. The video is from an episode called Safe Space. It'll be up on the screen and it's a play on this idea of safe spaces in our culture. In the video you see the the South Park character Eric Hartman and he's joined also it looks like by Vin Diesel, Demi Lovato, and of course Steven Seagal. The video is basically them singing that they can block out all the negative voices in culture by living in these uh, self-contained glass houses they call safe spaces. And they all sing lyrics together like, lyrics like this, everyone likes me and thinks I'm great in my safe space. Bully-proof windows, troll-safe doors, nothing but kindness in here. But then all of a sudden there's a break in the song and this shady character appears. And he says, I am going to tear down your safe space brick by brick. I shall smash it with glee. And one of the South Park characters says, what? Who's that? And the shady character responds, you cannot stop me from getting inside. I am cold and I am hard and my name is reality. To which Demi Lovato's character says, oh no, reality, somebody stop it. Now, if we're all honest, We all have our safe spaces in some way or another. We all want to block out and ignore reality sometimes. But this morning, as we end our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, this book, maybe more than any other book in the Bible, confronts us with reality. The cold, hard truth of reality. That there's truth, that there's design, that there's law in this universe, and that there's a God that each and every one of us will one day give an account to. We can live in a glass house, filling our ears with news, with the latest hype, with even alternative realities, but we can't avoid the truth or reality forever. And the book of Ecclesiastes has been making a very strong case that. Now, our big idea this morning is pretty simple, and it's been the big idea that we've been looking at the last seven weeks, and it's this. Life has meaning in God. Life has meaning in God. Reality may be cold and hard sometimes, but meaning and understanding can be found in the God who raised his son from the dead, the God who is our refuge, 
our fortress in our times of need. The God who fills our lives with meaning as we trust in him and live for him this morning. My outline is going to be up on the screen. And as we end this book today, we'll look at the whole book. We'll do a bit of a review, a survey of this book. And we'll ask, how do we live the meaningful life? We'll see four principles this morning. How do we live the meaningful life? And then we'll look at the gospel according to Ecclesiastes. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time or you've missed a few of the last weeks, it's likely that Solomon is writing Ecclesiastes. This is a book that shows us the blueprint for what living a meaningful life under God looks like. Solomon's had it all. And in this book, he looks back on life. He says that wisdom and travel and position and money and career and entrepreneurship and small families and big families and political power and everything else is just breath. It's a vapor. It's a Hebrew word, hevel. It has to do with a mist. Nothing is permanent, he would say, because of the reality of death. Yet Solomon is a believer. He's not an agnostic. He's not an atheist. He's not saying this life is all there is, so eat, drink, and be merry. He doesn't just say life is pointless. He says God is there. And because he's there, there is a way to live a meaningful life, even though this present life is so temporary. And so this morning, we turn now to the end of this book, chapter 12, verse 9. Besides being wise, the teacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So notice the narrator speaks. He says the teacher, Solomon, who spoke for the majority of this book, is wise. He was someone people looked at and said, that's a wise person. That's a compelling person. There's something interesting about him. I want to hear more. We might today call him a public intellectual. He was number one on the New York Times bestseller list. He was number one on Amazon. He taught the old. He taught the young, the educated, the non-educated. He was an interesting person. He taught people, verse 9, knowledge and weighed, studied, and arranged many Proverbs with great care. That's probably a shout-out to the book of Proverbs, which Solomon helped put together. That book comes just before this book, verse 10. The teacher sought to find words of delight, and upwardly he wrote words of truth. That is, it wasn't just what Solomon said, it was how he said it. He was a poet. This guy can write. Even in this book alone, there's so many famous verses that we see in our culture. They come from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, rather. To everything there is a season, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 9, there is nothing new under the sun. And, of course, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The narrator continues, the words of the wise are like goats, that is, like a cattle prod. The truth can hurt, but if we let it, it will guide us. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. That is, the inspired words deserve our trust. They give stability. And then he adds, verse 11, they are given by one shepherd. That is, God himself. Which is really why we've been studying Ecclesiastes. It's not just a good book. 
It's not just a book assigned in university settings and college English classrooms. It's not just self-evident truth. It's because the Lord is our shepherd. And this morning, he wants us to live meaningful lives. He wants us to learn and know the wisdom of God intimately seen in Jesus Christ, who is our good shepherd, the one who lays his life down for us so that we might know God and love God and walk wisely in this life. He goes on and he says, verse 12, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Amen. But then he adds his final comment, and it really leads us to the first answer to the question, how can we live a meaningful life? And that first answer is that we fear God and keep his commandments in view of death. He closes the book really on this, and it's a summary of what this whole book is really all about. In light of reality, in light of the fact that nothing seems to be permanent in this life, in light of the fact that nothing seems to ultimately satisfy in this world, he says this, verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In light of all of the problems in the world, in light of all of the problems in our hearts, Solomon says, if I could sum up a solution, it would be this. Acknowledge that God is God. Follow him. Build your life on him. Build your societies on him because he's real. Because there's more than just the physical world. And because there's a judgment. Judgment day is the day that God, the only judge, shows up. And on that day, there's no more loose ends. There's no more unrighted wrongs. No injustices left unaddressed. Ecclesiastes earlier puts it like this. Chapter 11, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. The point is, one day we will see him face to face. What we do here matters. The choices we make matter. It's not just accept Jesus into your heart and live however you want. It's live for God now. Because you, because I, were accountable to him in the end. Now, Ecclesiastes has 12 chapters, and Solomon says there's other components that go into living a meaningful life as well. If the first answer is to fear God in view of death, the second answer is to enjoy life in view of God. Enjoy life in view of death. Ecclesiastes 8 says this, So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life that God has given them under the sun. In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19, Everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, accept your lot and rejoice in your toil. This is the gift of God. 
to enjoy life even though it's temporary is a major theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon's motto isn't get rich or die trying, or even the best is yet to come, or old age stinks. His motto is enjoy life now. Enjoy it today. The point is, a meaningful life involves enjoying all of God's grace today. Some of us are so bothered by things that have happened in the past that we can't focus on the present. Some of us are so consumed with what lies ahead in the future that we can't enjoy the here and now. But the present is the only place you can find joy. This moment is the only time you can find happiness right now, today, in the little things, in the big things. They're all evidences of God's grace and love to you. Ecclesiastes says, enjoy every moment of life that you can and give thanks to God for all of it. The point of Ecclesiastes isn't that friends or a spouse or travel or kids or money or career are meaningless because of death. The point is that we put too much hope and expectation and longing in these things. These things will fade. But when we put our ultimate hope in God, the only one who can take on the full weight of our longing and hope, we can finally see and enjoy everything else for what it actually is. Evidences of his grace, his mercy to us. There's another way we can answer the question of how we live the meaningful life. We live wisely in view of death. We, we live wisely in view of death. Solomon's constantly aware of the fact that life is a breath. It's a vapor. And so naturally the question comes up in his mind, if I'm going to die, why be wise? <laughs> like, why be righteous? Death is the great equalizer, and if it doesn't merit salvation, my conduct doesn't add up to my status with God, why live wisely? Earlier in the book, he says this, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 14, The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. Now the good news is that he doesn't stay there. Throughout the rest of the book, he makes an important nuance. He says, there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The point is, living wisely doesn't merit salvation. It doesn't make God accept you. It doesn't guarantee longer life, but it is the best and freest state of being that you can choose. Patience, Ecclesiastes 7, valuing relationships, Ecclesiastes 4, having concise speech, chapter 5, being a person of industry, chapter 9 and 10, seeking to live justly, chapter 5, fighting for contentment, chapter 4, respecting authority, chapter 8, having genuine faith, chapter 5, not taking everything people say so personally, chapter 7, are all actually good things. Even though someone may choose to live the opposite and have the same exact faith, living wisely is the happy life. It's the blessed life. It's the beatitudes life. It's the meaningful life. Fourthly, Ecclesiastes gives us one more answer for how we live the meaningful life. We prepare for absurdity in view of death. We prepare for absurdity 
in view of death. Ecclesiastes 8, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who gets what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who gets what the righteous deserve. This, too, I say, is meaningless. And, Ecclesiastes 9, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happens to them all. The wisdom verses in the Bible often read like a book of guarantees. If you will do this, then this will happen. For instance, Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your first fruits, work hard and be honest, and God will bless you with wealth, honor, and riches. If you'll do this, then this will happen. Or, Proverbs 22, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now that's great wisdom. And following that wisdom often will lead to success, honor, and good kids. But here's the thing. That counsel isn't foolproof. It's not designed to be. It's wise to live by. We'll be, we'll be much better off than have you not. But many of us have had the experience of doing exactly what verses like this have said and having the exact opposite thing happen to us. You work really hard, you give to the church, but then inflation, but then the stock market crashes, someone cheats you, or you did the best you could to raise your kid, but when they get old enough, they depart from the faith. They want nothing to do with it. The point is, life is not fair. Life is absurd. There is a major glitch in the system. The glitch is called sin. The world is broken. And we have to know this. We have to prepare for this. We have to factor this in. Which really brings us to our second and our most important point this morning as we end this book, the gospel according to Ecclesiastes. The gospel according to Ecclesiastes. Notice Ecclesiastes is not the end of the Bible. It's one book in the collection of many books. And all of those books together give us one word from the one shepherd. The good news this morning isn't that if you fear God, follow his commandments, enjoy life, live wisely, prepare for absurdity, that you can have a meaningful life. The good news this morning is that Jesus Christ is the greater Solomon. He is the chief shepherd, the wise teacher, the one who conquered Solomon's obsession with death through his literal body, bodily resurrection from the dead 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. And knowing him, this morning means that each and every one of these answers that Solomon gives us for how to live the meaningful life, Jesus himself makes it better. He makes it possible. He gives it greater hope. As to enjoying life in view of death, in the coming of Jesus, the Messiah is here. We can enjoy life fully knowing that our sin has been removed. He's taken them and he's cast our sins into the sea. Our sins have been completely forgiven. Our relationship with God restored. He looks at us and says, this is my son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. And this morning we can trust the all-powerful God who's in control of every little and big thing. We can trust that he's got a job for each of us, but he wants us to enjoy this life along the way. We are not the Messiah. 
But so many of us, if we're honest, we have a Messiah complex. We say, how can I ever enjoy this life or take a vacation when there is so much to do? There is a world to save. But the good news this morning is that God saves. Not every cause has to be yours. Not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it. Don't go through life as if all of the responsibility just rests on you. Enjoy life. We're not the Savior. Don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to eat a good meal, to laugh with friends, to enjoy family. In the gospel, the picture is that you've come home, and God is throwing you a feast. He's throwing a party. You were dead, but now you're alive. Psalm 50 says, The Lord says, If I were hungry... I would not tell you, for the world and all its fullness are mine. Offer to me a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high. As to living wisely in view of death, Jesus shows us how it's possible. When Jesus comes on the scene, it's said of him that no one has ever spoken like this man. His words were compelling. A lot of people looked at him and said, that's a wise person. That's an interesting person. I want to hear him. And during his life, Jesus relied fully on the power of the Spirit, helping him to live this kind of life, a life of wisdom, a life of light, a life of patience, a life of concise speech, of living justly, of working hard, of having genuine faith. He lived a wise life, a good life, a life pleasing to God. And this morning, knowing Jesus means we can draw on the same Spirit who work powerfully for him. We can be filled with God's power and wisdom to enable us to live a life that is pleasing to God, a life of wisdom, a life of truth, a life that works because God is at work within us. As to preparing for absurdity in view of death, Jesus gives us an ultimate hope. As preparing for absurdity, in view of death, Jesus gives us ultimate hope. Romans chapter 8 says the same thing as Ecclesiastes. Creation itself has been subjected to futility, to absurdity. There's a glitch in the system. The glitch is called sin. But it goes on to say that because of the gospel, the creation waits now in eager expectation for the children of God to be fully revealed. The creation itself will be released from the decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The point is, someday, God will restore this glitchy world, this absurd world. The evidence being that in the coming of Jesus and the sending of his spirit, that restoration has already started in people. The Spirit is a deposit and a guarantee of what is to come, 2 Corinthians, which means that one day this world will be made new. The glitch will be gone. Reality won't have so many absurdities in it. There will be perfect justice, perfect fairness, not because humans overcame, but because, as the book of Revelation says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. As to fearing God in view of death, Jesus himself helps us to understand the final words of Ecclesiastes this morning just a little bit more. Solomon closes out this book, and he says, Fear God 
and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Notice it's not keep the commandments and be afraid of God. It's fear God and keep his commandments. When the Bible talks about fearing God, it means an inner state. It means an inner condition of awe, of amazement, at the hugeness of his love and his power, about the greatness of who he is. It's an inner condition of awe, of respect, of fear and trembling, of worship, not just because of his power and his holiness, but because of his mercy and his grace. Psalm 130, you have forgiven my sins, therefore I fear you. There's a kind of fear out there that's a fear of being hurt. This is not what it means to fear God. To fear him is to know him. It's to know his grace, his justice, his forgiveness. It's to have an inner wonder about him in your heart. And out of that, our hearts leap wanting to live for him and follow him. And in the coming of Jesus this morning, we see the full revealing of God, don't we? Jesus comes and he never sins. He lives the life that we should have lived. And when he goes to the cross, we see the fullness of God's justice and mercy. We see how on the cross, God's justice towards us, all of our injustices, all of our loose ends, all of our wrongs, were taken care of in the death of his son. So that now if we know him, if we trust him this morning, all there is left for us is mercy and grace. Romans chapter 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. If that clicks, our hearts are filled with awe. It's filled with a clean fear because there's no one else quite like him. And as a result, our hearts can leap wanting to live for him and through him and follow him. As we close this morning, the book of Ecclesiastes, this book is good news because through Jesus Christ, we can live a meaningful life. Through faith in him, we can know God and he can know us. Scientists tell us this world is a closed system and nothing is really changing. Historians tell us that life is a closed book and nothing is really new. The philosophers tell us that life is a deep problem and nothing is understood. But Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's miraculously broken into history. He brings new life for all those who call on his name. If you're living in circles, if you're living just simply under the sun this morning, turn to him. Turn your life over to him. Trust him this morning. Life is destined to be unsatisfying without him. There's more to life than just living under the sun. There's a God who's above the sun. And he invites us to pick up our cross and follow him this morning. C.S. Lewis said it well. Die before you die. There is no chance after. Believe in him today. Trust in the God who is above the sun, who is over the sun, and sent his son for us to give us life. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.